Hello, 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 and welcome to The Timelines Project, a podcast all about the lore and story of Magic the Gathering, a very fun and interactive trading card game. If you're new, welcome. If you're not, welcome back. Newcomers should go listen to episode 13, because this episode is part 2 of Bloodlines. Alright, without further ado, let's get started with the topic for today, Bloodlines, by Lauren L. Coleman. But first, a recap. After saving the refugees from Sarah's realm, Urza came up with a new plan for a series of artifacts called the Legacy. The Legacy would combine with the skyship Weatherlight to form the ultimate weapon to defeat the Phyrexians. Along with the Legacy, Urza also started the Bloodlines Project, a eugenics program that would breed an army of warriors to fight the Phyrexians and produce a person who could assemble the Legacy and defeat the Phyrexians once and for all. While Urza built his army, the Phyrexians had their own plans. Yogmoth, the Lord of Phyrexia, created the Artificial Plane of Wrath. Wrath would act as a staging ground for the impending Phyrexian invasion. Davil, a human with powerful psychic abilities, was put in charge of Wrath, and our story picks up with him. Chapter 13 Transdimensional Bridge Krogh and Davil stood on a ridge of flowstone, overlooking a valley of, you guessed it, more flowstone. Davil was going to attempt to make a transdimensional bridge between Wrath and Dominaria. It was an incredibly difficult process, but Davil believed he was strong enough. Now, of course, Davil's immense psychic prowess couldn't reshape a whole plane. When manipulating large amounts of flowstone, Davil and everyone else had to tap into machinery in the Phyrexian Fortress on Wrath. The machinery would soften the selected area of flowstone, making the bridging over process much easier. Using these machines, Davil reshaped the valley into a mirror image of a forest on Dominaria. The bridging process began. The sky darkened in the real forest valley on Dominaria. The people who lived in the forest looked up and saw Wrath's cloudy sky and a massive face looming over them. And that's Davil's face, by the way. That's one of the side effects, I guess, uh, is his face looms over or something. I don't know. Davil pulled every living soul from the Dominarian side into the Wrathy side, and then dropped the bridge, leaving a bunch of confused and frightened villagers milling around in the basin of the Flowstone Valley. They would soon be captured and forced to work in the Phyrexian Forge. This is how Wrath got all its slaves. The Evancar would just steal them from, and the Evancar's the leader of Wrath. The Evancar would just steal them from a plane in the Dominarian Nexus. Oh, uh, by the way, the only reason Wrath can overlay with Dominaria is because it's built into the Dominarian Nexus. A Nexus is the multiverse equivalent of a galaxy. Some time passed after Davil's first successful overlay. Krog and Davil traveled to a village in Benalia on the plane of Dominaria. Krogh had received reports of Dominarians who had a dark affinity. These were the Bloodline subjects that had been injected with Phyrexian DNA, though Krogh didn't know it at the time. All he knew was that there were more and more reports of humans who weren't afraid of Phyrexians and were quite formidable in battle. Krogh had come to Benalia to see if the reports were true. They were. Krogh tried to use a memory extraction device on one of the villagers with the dark affinity, but the man woke up and attacked Krogh, forcing the Phyrexian to kill him. Krogh was frustrated at his failure, and left Dominaria, but vowed to return to the plane soon. 
Chapter 14, The Greater Good. Urza had been sneak attacked by Phyrexian Negators. Just as a reminder, the Negators are elite Phyrexian assassins. Urza managed to defeat the horrors and took an arm back to the Telerian Academy for analysis. Back on Teleria, Urza met with Timon. Timon made a brief appearance in the previous episode before leaving the Telerian Academy because he deemed the Bloodlines Project immoral. What I didn't mention in the previous episode was that before leaving, Timon did some very important research into empathy magics and came to the conclusion that the Bloodlines Project had to be conducted outside of Fast Time Rifts. This slowed the whole operation down and led to the creation of Bloodlines outside of Teleria, like the ones on uh, in Banalia. Urza met with Timon to request that he do some more research into the empathy magics. Timon reluctantly agreed because he knew his research would prevent much suffering, even though he didn't believe the Bloodlines project was ethical. Still, it was all for the greater good, so Timon agreed. Chapter 15 Witches and Demons Davil had been summoned before Krogh. The human was seething at being called for like a servant, but he didn't have a choice. Krogh wanted him to conduct an overlay, but this time he wanted Davil to transport Phyrexians to Dalmanaria instead of Dalmanarians to Wrath. You see, Krogh had learned of a group of fearsome warriors that all possessed the Dark Affinity, or most of them did at least. Krogh wanted to test these warriors and see what granted them their Phyrexian essence. So Krogh was sending an army to kill and he needed Davil to transport them. And yes, the fearsome warriors were the Witch Kings of Keld that Gotha had been experimenting on. Uh, actually, I haven't mentioned Gotha yet, so I guess a brief refresher is in order. Gotha was one of the scholars leading the Bloodlines project. Unfortunately, he was too reckless and ruthless in his experiments, and he got his privileges revoked. He decided to leave the project and pursue his own goals elsewhere. So Gotha left Teleria, and after 12 years of wandering, he made his way to the mountains of Keld. The Keldans were a warlike people who roamed Dominaria pillaging and plundering. They accepted Gotha and gave him a lab to begin his experiments. After much trial and error, Gotha perfected his technique, and the Witch Kings of Keld were born. The Witch Kings had existed prior to... Gotha being there, but with Gotha's augmentations, they became the most powerful warriors on the whole plane. Their strength and stamina were increased a hundredfold. The most powerful of these warriors was a Keldum warrior named Krieg, and in the previous episode, Krieg had claimed his place at the head of the Keldum's war council. Alright, I think that's enough of a refresher explanation thing, uh, so let's get back to the book. In the 50 years since Krieg's ascension, he had never faced an enemy like the Phyrexians. Krieg's war host was returning from looting foreign lands when they were stopped by massive engines and a horde of black-clad abominations. Krieg didn't know who or what they were, only that no one had stood up to him in the time since his ascension, and he wasn't about to let it slide now. Krieg led the charge. It was a hard battle, but the Keldons emerged victorious. They had surrounded the invasive force and were preparing to crush them, but then suddenly the sky went dark and all the enemy warriors just vanished, along with any Keldons unlucky enough to be fighting near. 
Krieg led the warhost back to the Kelvin capital and reported all he had seen to Gotha. Gotha decided to take a look for himself. He did not want to believe it, but the truth was inescapable. The Phyrexians wanted something and killed, and there was nothing Gotha or Krieg could do to stop them. Krogh had finished interrogating the last of the Kelvin prisoners. He had learned a small amount from the prisoners who had the Dark Affinity, and Krogh thought he had a rough idea of Urza's plan. Spread the Dark Affinity to all of Dominaria until the whole plane resisted Phyrexian influence. Krogh was displeased, but it mattered not. Urza didn't have enough time to spread the Affinity to enough of the population to make a difference. The Phyrexian invasion was fast approaching, and Urza Planeswalker couldn't do anything about it. Chapter 16 This chapter doesn't really add anything. As the title would suggest, this chapter isn't important enough to be in the episode. Uh, it's just some more Bloodline stuff with Liani, the angel from Sarah's realm. I I decided to remove all of that because it was, was kind of boring, and I felt it didn't really add to the overall plot. If there is any relevant information, I will convey it to you, but it doesn't add too much, so if you want to know about it, read the book. Otherwise, we're moving on. Chapter 17. Yavamaya Restless. The Weatherlight was once again, for the third time, returning to Yavamaya for supplies. Multani wasn't with the ship this time, he was off in foreign lands. Uh, Multani was with the ship last time. Yeah, go listen to the previous episode if you want to know about that. Rain was on the ship, and that's Baron's wife, Rain. She wanted a break from Teleria and thought a trip to Yavamaya would do her good. She was wrong. No one met them when the ship beached on the shores of the island. The whole forest was silent. The crew disembarked, and a few of the students went exploring. As Rain looked around, she noticed that the leaves of the surrounding plant life were slowly turning lighter shades of green, and she realized that from an aerial view, it would form a lighter-colored circle, a ripple of disturbance that the forest defenders could use to zero in on the Weatherlight's location. Rain called to everyone to return to the ship, but it was too late. A trio of massive wolves leapt into the clearing and surrounded a crewman who had crushed a bug. Another crewman was surrounded by a swarm of stinging insects, and a rhino-like beast shouldered its way into the clearing and bellowed a challenge at a third crewman. Rain tried to help the crewman surrounded by the stinging insects, but a wall of vines sprung up in front of her. Rain pulled from her bag a globe bomb and tossed it at the barrier. The blast blew through the wall, allowing Rain to pass. While another crew member drove off the wolves, Rain used another bomb to free the crew member beset by stinging insects. In an attempt to escape, the crewman had dived into a bush and got herself entangled in the thorny vines. Suddenly, an elf burst out of the trees. It was Raphalos. Raphalos was in the previous, or I guess, not the previous episode, but the episode, the, the previous, previous episode. He was in episode 13. He was an elf from the forest of Lanawar. Yavamaya had been using him as a replacement for Multani while the nature spirit was away. Multani is in episode 13 as well. 
Rothfuss explained that, that the attack was a mistake. The forest was a bit preoccupied and had reacted on instinct. The elf healed the wounded, gave them the supplies they needed, and sent them on their way. As the weatherlight disappeared over the horizon, a portal opened up on a promontory devoid of plant life. Out of the portal stepped a black-clad warrior. The Phyraxians had found Yavamaya. Chapter 18. This chapter only adds one thing. This chapter is more stuff about Liani and the Banalian bloodlines. The important information required for moving forward is that the Phyraxians began attacking the different bloodlines to try to slow Urza down, but that Banalians were not going to go down without a fight, and were putting up a strong resistance. And that is all. Chapter 19 Krieg the Immortal After 23 battles with the Phyraxians, Krieg had yet to lose, but the Witch King could feel death approaching. Surrender was not the Keldon way, and Krieg would fight till the bitter end. Gotha was in the process of dismantling his lab. He had been in Keld for three centuries, but his time there was over. And I quote, The Phyraxians were coming, and this time there would be no stopping them. End quote. Gotha would stand with the Keldons, but he knew it was hopeless. He had to prepare his lab first. Gotha cast three spells. The first was tied to his life force. If Gotha died, his lab would go with him in a fiery explosion. The second teleported a chest containing all his notes deep beneath the ground. The third spell would send a summon to Urza Planeswalker, notifying him of the chest of notes. It would also trigger upon Gotha's death. Then the wizard went to face his destiny. Krieg was on the left flank of his force, where the fighting was most intense. There was a cliff there. If the Keldons could push the Phyrexians up against it, they might have a chance of winning the battle. As Krieg cut through the Phyrexians, he saw a skeletal figure crossing the battlefield towards him. With a roar, Krieg charged, greatsword in hand. Before he could get to it, the Phyrexian unleashed a deafening sound that temporarily stunned the Witch King. Krieg shook off the paralysis and struck three times in quick succession. The skeletal Phyrexian blocked the first two hits with metal bands that appeared to be part of a robe. The last strike connected with the creature's head. The attack probably could have killed an elephant, but it did little to affect the beast. Now, it was the Phyrexian's turn. It struck at Krieg with its claws, punching right through his armor and landing a hit near his ribs. The wound burned, and it wouldn't heal, despite Krieg's healing magic. Apparently, the Phyrexians had some sort of super poison. Krieg fell to his knees before the skeletal warrior, brought low with just one blow. Hey, that rhymed. The Phyrexian left the Witch King for dead and moved on to its next target, Gotha, who had been blasting the Phyrexians with lightning. The battle had not been going well for Gotha. It seemed, each time he made a big attack, the Phyrexians countered with something bigger. Gotha had knocked a dragon engine over, and two more took its place. He had summoned a giant, which had immediately been swarmed by a new horde of Phyrexians. He even summoned a rock hydra to block the pass. The Phyrexians had countered with wrath, overlaying a new group of troops in front of the hydra. Among these troops was the skeletal warrior that had defeated Krieg. Speaking of which, the Phyrexian was coming right for Gotha. Gotha blasted it with lightning, but it only seemed to make it mad, 
The Phyrexian cornered Gotha. Behind him was a sheer drop, and in front of him was an unstoppable machine. The Phyrexian unleashed a spell that brought Gotha to his knees. After doing some quick thinking, Gotha decided that if this was how he was going to go out, he would at least make sure the Phyrexians couldn't use his brain to discover all of Urza's plans. He released his first pre-planned spell, and there was an explosion in the distance, and that was his lab blowing up. It distracted the Phyrexian long enough for Gotha to roll off the cliff. Krieg watched as Gotha was overpowered as he had been. Krieg was dying, but he would be damned if he didn't take his killer with him. As Gotha rolled off the cliff, Krieg pulled himself up, and with a roar, tackled the Phyrexian and pulled it over the edge. Chapter 20 The Secret Generation Timon was leaving for real this time, leaving Teleria, leaving the Bloodlines Project. His research was complete, and he wanted to get as far away from it all as he could. I just mentioned that because it is important, but yeah, Timon's gone. Fast forward about a century after Krieg and Gotha's deaths at the hands of the Phyrexians, Kel had not fully recovered, but the Phyrexians had backed off after killing their Witch King and Sorcerer. Baron wanted to help the Keldons, but Urza refused, and during their argument, Urza let slip that he had actually started the Bloodlines Project 30 years after the Weatherlight's first voyage. There was a secret generation of Bloodlines subjects. Gotha had been a part of this secret generation, though he didn't know it, and Rain, Baron's wife, had also been a part of it. And I only mention this secret Bloodline because it adds some tension, uh, and it is sort of important in future books. It's got some relevance. So, yeah. Chapter 21, Sultari. Davil stood at the edge of Wrath, a wall of boiling sky and frozen flames that offered a glimpse into the blind eternities. Davil was testing his overlay abilities at the edge of the plane, far away from the machines that made the process possible. The landscape before him had become a banalian village, and his troops charged into the village, killing every living thing. As Gotha held the bridge open, he suddenly felt a presence in his mind, apparitions from the void between worlds. Davil couldn't hold off the apparitions and keep the overlay open, so he called his troops back and closed the bridge. Later, back at the fortress, Krogh summoned Davil before him. The Phyrexian had been laid low by the Keldon Witch King Krieg, who had tackled him off a cliff. Krogh hadn't died, but it would take him centuries to fully regenerate his body. I don't know why, but yes. Krogh had summoned Davil for news of Urza Planeswalker. Davil didn't have any. Instead, he had news of a different threat, one perhaps more dangerous than even a Planeswalker, the Forest of Yavamaya. Krogh dismissed the forest as unimportant, but Davil refused to take no for an answer and diverted resources away from the Urza hunt to the conquest of Yavamaya. Chapter 22 Stuff about the Bloodlines in Benalia. This chapter is more stuff about the Bloodlines in Benalia. Moving on. Chapter 23 The Battle for Yavamaya. The Phyrexians were in Yavamaya, but the forest was ready for them. It had been preparing for them for centuries, and its defenses were fully operational. 
Rophilus moved through the branches astride a war moa. I'm pretty sure moas are flightless birds, but don't quote me on that. Rophilus and the Yavamaya elves harried the Phyrexian force, darting through openings and attacking, then dashing back into cover. Using this tactic, they slowly whittled away at the force. Rophilus made his way around the Phyrexians to their massive war engine. The elf took acorns from his pocket and tossed them at the base of the machine. The acorn sprouted, and where once there was a machine, there was suddenly a grove of small oak trees. Davil was struggling to keep the bridge open. So close to the fortress, it should have been easy, but there was an outside force trying to close the bridge while he kept it open. As Davil struggled to keep the overlay open, an elf stepped out onto the flowstone of wrath. Davil was shocked. Never had something come through of its own accord. Nothing came through that Davil didn't want to come through. And yet, the elf warrior had. He sensed that this elf was the outside pressure on his mind. A manifestation of the forest's will. The elf caught sight of Davil and charged. So the human did the only logical thing and dropped the bridge. The elf and the rest of Yavamaya disappeared. Halfway around the world, Multani heard Yavamaya's call to return. The nature spirit stepped into a nearby forest and instant transmission over to Yavamaya. Multani was greeted by the elf Rafflos. Multani had sensed the elf in the spirit of Yavamaya before. Rafflos was not too overjoyed to see Multani. I guess he felt a bit competitive. The spirit of Yavamaya called its two guardians to a cavern. In the cavern was a staff. It was from Multani. Uh, I don't know really what the significance of the staff was, but um, the Lanawar were like a warlike race, and... Uh, receiving weapons was important to them, so it was maybe supposed to be, like, lessening the barrier between Rafflos and Multani. Uh, also, uh, the staff shows up in future books, so I think, yeah, it shows up in future books, so it's, it's more of a setup. Chapter 24, Banalia. Leoni and the Capuchins managed to drive the Phyrexians from Banalia. Uh, and that is it. Chapter 25. The Sultari's Revenge. Urza had been ambushed again. He had defeated the Phyrexian Negator, but not killed it, and now he was pursuing it through the Blind Eternities as it fled through a portal. Urza planeswalked to a strange plane he had never seen before. Urza didn't know where he was, but he did see the Phyrexian he had been chasing, and he gathered wind together and blasted it at the Phyrexian. Then Urza summoned a phantom and ripped the Negator to pieces. Urza caught his breath and looked around him, wondering why a Phyrexian would escape here. Suddenly, Urza heard a voice in his head. The voice explained where he was. Wrath was an artificial plane created by the Phyrexians to invade Dominaria. The voice explained that it was one of the Sultari, a race of people who had been trapped halfway through Overlay. They were trapped on Wrath without physical bodies, and they were very angry at the Phyrexians. They wanted Urza to destroy the Phyrexian fortress, but Urza refused. He wouldn't be able to destroy the fortress by himself, and he had other plans. He did, however, offer to take the Sultari back to Dominaria. They agreed, and Urza points walked away from Wrath. Oh, also, Rain is pregnant, which is, once again, important for future books. Chapter 
Chapter 26. Former Evan Carr. I'm getting tired of writing and recording. Uh, I had to record this episode twice because the first file got corrupted or something and the audio just disappeared. Uh, so I'm going to try to keep this as short as possible. Krogh was finally healed after two centuries. Now that he was healed, he decided it was time for Davil to go. The human had served his purpose and was no longer useful. Krogh didn't actually have to do anything. The slaves rioted and part of the fortress collapsed. Davil was in that part of the fortress. Krogh found him trapped beneath some rubble. He stole his memories, then left the former Evan Carr for dead. <sighs> Alright, this has been Bloodlines by Lauren L. Coleman. I hope you all enjoyed. Next week's episode is going to be about the Thran. Well, actually, no. Next week's episode is going to be a recap of this episode and episode 13. But the next, next episode is going to be the Thran part 1. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, let me know. My email is in the description. Anyway, that's all, folks. And I'll see you next week. <laughs>